Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Daily Coast Debrief. It's our weekly show about politics. I'm Marcos Melitzis. I am here with Kerry Aliveld, and this is Ukraine Week. We've been talking about uh, making Ukraine the topic the first, you know, Tuesday month. of yeah, every first month. Tuesday of yeah. the month. And uh, and so that's what we're doing today. And and Carrie, I'm, I'm I gotta say I'm I'm so excited about about today's guest. Let me tell you a little bit about him before we bring him on, just because this this guy is so freaking cool. Uh, his name is Dimitri. He is an Estonian that lives who's living in London from the very beginning of the war. And we'll ask him a little bit more about that. But he translates material coming from the Russian side. So there's social media their videos, their proclamations. So he is able to give us an insight into what Russia is saying and thinking at all parts of this war. And he just produces an unbelievable amount of, of translation of information. Uh, his his um, Twitter handle is War Translated, at War Translated, and he has a website as well with that same name. I would not be half, I wouldn't be a quarter as smart as I am about this war without Dimitri. And so it is is an incredible treat. I'm so excited to to meet him today and to talk to him about the work he does and what he's seeing from that Russian side. It's like a window into this bizarre world. And uh, and I don't know what we'd do without him. So um, I'm pretty excited. Me too. I'm super excited. Actually, you shared a couple of his, uh, you know, of his translations with me and I listened to them and I was like, wow, this is, this is, this is raw. Like this is raw material from, you know, from uh, Russian soldiers. And it's just fascinating to hear them talk because it's nothing like what you're hearing from the Russian, you know, Russian military, the Russian elite. So anyway, yeah, so I actually think we can bring him right on. So again, today's guest is Dimitri from War Translated. He is in London and he was kind enough to join us, even though it's getting late out where he's at. Dimitri, thank you so very much for joining us. Hey, everyone. And uh, yeah, I'm very glad to be on your show. And uh, it's really awesome. I've been um, sort of a fan of your website for quite some time as well. Um, well, not quite some time, but about a year. But uh, yeah, it's, it's been a great pleasure. It's a great pleasure to be here. And uh, I um I will say I was I hope I was one of the first people to donate when you first started asking people to help out with with, you know, the work you're doing, because I find it so incredibly valuable. Like I said in the intro, I wouldn't be a quarter as smart as I am about the war without your insight and the in the inf- information you sent. So you are an Estonian living in London. How do you come about learning Russian and being in a position to be such an important part of this information, uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, operation on, on Twitter and otherwise to inform the world about what Russia is thinking and doing? Yeah. So the well, the situation with uh, with me uh, knowing Russian, you know, it's um, quite as as complicated as it gets uh, anywhere in Europe with, with with languages and countries that we have. But um, I'm actually a native uh, Russian speaker. So my name is Russian. So I come from a family who's um, who's half Ukrainian, half Russian. So actually, my first language is is, is Russian, um, and um, Estonian is my second language. Although I've been, obviously I've been. I'm learning it from from very young age, um, as I was born in Estonia, and um, yeah, so that's where my interests. Um, I mean, I can go a long way into explaining how various dynamics of being Russian, non-Russian work in Eastern Europe. It's it's a topic of its own, 
or um, being, you know, c- coming from um, from you could from 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 you could say people don't like it, but post-Soviet country and having parents with this heritage, you know, they they settled in Estonia while while they were young, um, back in the Soviet times, like millions and millions of people um, um, from whole from the whole country of of the of the USSR back in the back in the day. Um, so I have, I mean, I've I've always been interested in in, in military history and history in general since I was a child. So um, it, um, I started politics in the university. So it's um, um, it's a mix of everything coming together. You know, heritage, interests, um, and just ongoing events that bring me to to where I am right now, I suppose, and to a certain extent as well, social media. I mean. My my main job is the social media management, so I, I kind of know a few things here and there, and how to how these things work at least, which definitely helped me to to get um, to where I where I am right now. I suppose, although that's a bit pretentious, but yeah. Um, yeah. Not at all. So, um, I mean, that that I, you know, the fact that you work in social media sort of goes a long way to explaining uh, how you were able to leverage. But you actually you jumped onto something that. I don't think anybody was doing at the time. And, and I remember in those early days of the war, just me desperately looking for any sorts of information. And I don't remember how long it took for me to find you, but it was pretty quick. I mean, I think you were doing it from very early in the war, right? The most hilarious thing I, I, going back one year is that all the sources that I used to watch and um, look for when in the early days, perhaps even in the build up to the 24th of February, um, a lot of them are actually now following me for the information. So, and uh, it, it, it's it's kind of, of it's kind are. of funny. It, 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 it's quite funny, and honestly, and uh, not something that I expected because at this point in time, I'm 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 really you know sort of into. Um, as a minor clarification, Marcus. By the way, yeah, it's not just the Russian sources that I'm looking at, but also like um, translating various Ukrainian um, um, sources. Um, not, not, not as as many. Um, I don't have as as big of a list, perhaps. And Ukrainian is a, is a bit is a different language from Russian, so it takes some time to get used to. But it, it's a bit easier. Uh, but but still, um, I try to um, if I find a, a really awesome video about some you know Ukrainian soldiers that is really uplifting, um, or if I find um, sometimes I, I jump into um, translating accounts of um, um, reliable Ukrainian Telegram or YouTube sources that I see, um, who are, I, in my opinion, provide um, a good information, uh, reliable information, and I will, will will translate them as well. And I've had a few of those. I drop them quite often because sometimes they go into doing some um, different things that I, you know, are I'm, I'm not really worth spending my time on. But um, I try to do that. A, both sides as well, but Russians obviously is, um, is 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 a bit more insightful for people and sometimes funny, and so that's that's why it co- you know it's 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 really popular. And when you say no one's um, no one's been really doing that, I'm unfortunately no one's still really doing that apart from a couple of people I know. Um, Julia Davis, yeah, who does yeah. the 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 talk shows, the Russian talk shows. Yeah. Uh, and I, I know you have a couple of people helping you out sometimes, but yeah, there's not a lot still. Um, no, so essentially, um, I have to say that that the sort of the amount of content I've, I've been putting out, um, I'm putting out right now, is a bit less than before in the past month or so, just mainly because it's not not a lot happening, and I feel like um, I've slightly um, overworked myself um, doing uh, doing it for the whole year. Um, we're spending really enormous hours. 
Um, but um, we were, so essentially, um, in terms of volunteers and helpers, we've had uh, I had a couple of people approach me and ask and say, you know, um, I've actually, in fact, I've had hundreds of people approach me and say that they wanted to help, but it, it's it's kind of, it's it's for them it's a bit difficult to sort of plug into what I'm doing and do exactly the things I'm doing because it, it takes absolute hours and it's it's really quite stressful it can be you know you can spend hours on the video not a lot of people want to do that even as volunteers but we still had a couple of volunteers that, that i'm really grateful for so they essentially they would watch um russian speaking live streams so there's a big segment um on youtube that are um, you know russian ukrainian speaking with there's millions of views there's thick people like um you know politicians lawyers um, uh, you know, they have the live streams where they invite guests, like, for example, the Oleksiy Aristovich, who is a former advisor to Yermak uh, um, in Ukraine. So he does live streams with one of the um, really notable um, um, journalists, or sorry, lawyers in Russia, Fagin. So, um, and, and these were really um, helpful to people at the start of the war, um, especially because being in the president's office, he would come come back to the live stream with some news and he would uh, tell a lot of in, important information in those early days. And they still do that, by the way. But um, so we, I, I started sort of making summaries of their discussions, which is about about an hour usually. And, um, and, and then I started putting everything together in a, you know, a thousand word summary. But then some people approached me and, and just said that, you know, maybe I, I could give you a hand. And then we had maybe about five or six people at the peak that would just, you know, do shifts translating these videos. Hmm. So um, I've, I've actually, I recently had a little poll on, the, on, my, on my page just seeing if people want these back because the Aristovich, he left the office. So he's now an independent person. So I was a bit, you know, um, 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 careful not to not to expose too much or not to expose him too much. Um, and the majority of people voted against it. So um, there were some considerations to to um, doing some other live streams, but it's a lot of work as well. Even summaries, you know, it's an hour. Um, if it's an hour long video, you have to watch it, make notes as you go, produce yeah, a really. thousand word summary. Uh, you know, you know, it has to be you know, with good grammar, it needs to be properly written. So it takes a few hours. I feel my own people on my team were burned out and some of them just said, I can't do this anymore. So, um, yeah. uh, so essentially, um, but then when, when it comes, when it comes to, you know, doing more, um, as well, it's, um, translation is, um, as, on its own is very expensive. So, um, I can put my free time into it, but I'm limited by that free time. So I can't really go and, and hire other people because that needs funds. And then that needs to yeah. be also a very careful allocation of funds because you can spend uh, a, a lot of time doing something that's not worthwhile. So I'm, because I have to use a lot of judgment in terms of what I'm translating as well. So if, if I was to, to del yeah, carry it. Yeah, go on. Yeah. Sorry. I, well, I was going to ask you, um, what what has been the most surprising place where you've seen your translation show up or who has been, you know, you've obviously been, you said you'd been contacted by hundreds of people to potentially help out, but have you been contacted by anyone that you found really surprising, not in terms of offering to help out, but, you know, um, on either side of the war or whatever? I just, I'm interested in, because obviously this appears yeah. to have blossomed into something that you didn't quite imagine it would be. It's probably much bigger than you than you thought, maybe, uh, as, long, as well as more time-consuming and everything. But um, I'm interested in, in what some of the 
uh, most interesting places that your reporting, your translations have gone, and also like what's come of that in terms of people who have contacted you about certain things? Yeah, thank you for a great question, Query. Um, uh, Query, um, I would say um, I have so many different and amazing people. I used to be or still a fan of following me on Twitter, for example. Um, there's, you know, Scott Kelly, the astronaut, you know, Gary Kasparov, who's, um, who's like a famous um, um, Russian-Soviet um, chess player and a, a politician. Um, a lot of really amazing people. You, you, uh, Marcos, I, I think, I remember, I remember how you picked up my translations quite early. I think maybe back in April or May, because uh, I was looking at where my 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 um, my materials are appearing, and I noticed that that probably what how you were covering me also gave me a lot of boost. So I'm I'm grateful for that. Great. Um, and uh, yeah, because I, I I was I was I was looking at, at things, just googling my 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 um, my um, handle to see where I appear. But it's been I probably couldn't name a place where I haven't been featured. Like all the major news websites, you know, yeah. or media. Um, I, I, it's probably easier to name those that where I haven't been featured in one way or another. Usually, it's nothing too extra, um, or sorry, not not extraordinary. I would say it's it's someone just posted my tweet, for example, you know, a translation. But it's still, you know, it's something. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting that I've that I was able to help. And uh, as you Kerry mentioned, uh, it's absolutely right that I wasn't expecting this. Still, I, I I'm kind of I'm kind of getting used to it now. Um, I feel like I've I've, I've 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 crossed a certain point where I'm you know it feels like quite natural at the moment. Um, but but yes, especially in the first six months or so, it was it was really surprising that it picked up so well. Um, but but I think uh, you you said Kara at the very beginning how um um you, you mentioned the overall in what I'm doing. Yeah, and I think that's exactly right. So I've never really. I'm trying not to express too much of my opinions. I'm just trying to put information for people to um, to evaluate themselves and um, things that I would be looking at every single day anyway, and the channels I'd be looking at anyway as I'm watching this war. I would that that this just gives me an opportunity to share them to a huge audience. Um, and I would be, I'll probably be still doing um, at least observing uh, on my own, even without having, um, uh, you know, a following of my own at the moment. So, yeah. Oh my God, that would be terrible if you were keeping all this information to yourself. Um, so, <laughs> the thing that I did not realize about Russia before the war, and now is is glaringly obvious, um, and it really really comes through in, in a lot of your translations, is this weird sort of collective helplessness amongst the Russian populace. They're literally being carted off to be used as cannon fodder. And they will they will line up in a formation, either the soldiers or their wives sometimes, and they will appeal to Putin to save them from this fate that awaits them without any seeming realization that it is Putin, the one who's actually sending them there. And so I'm curious, um, I mean, obviously you see this because you've talked about this before, but do you have any sense how that comes about, why that exists and and why Russians can't shake themselves from that? Well, I think it's a, it's a classic, really. And um, a lot of things have opened. Uh, I, I've opened my, my eyes on them as the conflict went. And, uh, you know, a lot of things that I knew about Russia's history and you know, perhaps you could say Eastern European history in general, that I knew facts, but now it seems almost like this war gave it a certain context you wouldn't be able to see um, otherwise. 
And that is, in Russia's case specifically, is the fact that um, it probably has always been like that. It never has been different, you know. I've been to Russia, and I know a lot of Russian people, and um, um, I'm, I've, I've yet I've probably yet to to meet a, a, a such a you know really bad person. You know, they've, 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 they they are usually seemed like a people like normal people like everywhere else in the world. Not much different. So I think it's more like a um, um, societal sort of psyche that that plays a certain part in what is happening and how it's it's playing out. But going back to you know um, why why are they doing this? I think just it just seems to me that this is what they've been doing all their history, and so. I think that that it needs to be it, it taken into account the fact that that's just the way they work. Um, there will always be will be some you know minorities exclusions. Some will be more radical, some will be less radical, more democratic. But it seems that on average, in its current state, this is just what you will expect from it. Anyway, regardless of what, what what judgment you might have about them, this is just the best you can expect from them at the moment. There's. Um... Another thing that I noticed in a lot of the videos is you'll see soldiers and, and you'll even see some uh, wives and a lot of the translations you do and some of the translations that are put out by the by the Ukrainian government, they 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 release intercepts of phone calls. And mm -hmm. it's it's either soldiers or their wives or family members saying, you can't believe what's on TV. The situation here is really bad. And so there there is there is sort of this acknowledgement that there is this propaganda that is papering papering over the the actual situation on the ground and i'm curious if you have any sense is this widely known within the russian populace that the propaganda is just that propaganda and they just don't care or they accept it because it's easier than the reality Do you have any sense about that Everyone knows it um it's just the, the it, it's all about how people people will just feel fine about it. You know, they'll say, this is how we are. And, um, you know, they're the, I mean, the intercepted calls give a really good a glimpse for, for, for the external observer into what is going through the private conversations and things like that. Although there are no names attached to it and you can probably question the legitimacy um, of some of these calls. And the fact that there are no names attached, I think is, is perfect because that, you know, means people are more, I guess you could say sincere in what they're saying. Um, but that's yeah, they're they're all like that, you know. It's it's as simple as um, you cannot really do anything about this. They know there are problems. They know that they know of everything about corruption. There, I mean, of course, there will be some, some some people will say that we don't care about the corruption. We care that we have a strong leader, and you know, we're not we're not living today much worse than yesterday. It's a very very. Um, specific psyche that is difficult to crack into but for someone like me um who has been quite familiar with them i've been i never it was never a secret for me really it's kind of surprising for me that it, it is exposed as something you know quite difficult to imagine for for the western as you could say <laughs> it's, it's absolutely incredibly difficult to understand yeah. daily codes began as a as an anti-war uh, website in during the the American invasion of Iraq, right? We, we've, we've been very consistently anti-imperialism and anti-interventionism. And so it is, it, uh, you know, we had mass protests and it, it failed, right? The war happened and it lasted for, you know, 20 years. But we, you know, there's a society that fought back and, and the passivity of Russian society 
No, you have you have a few early protests. They're brutally suppressed. People are jailed for waving blank pieces of paper. Not even say, there's not even it's not even the question of the speech was wrong. You know, the, the intent laying a flower uh, in the wrong place is enough to get one arrested. And it is it is sort of it's a window into into that kind of repressive society that I don't I don't think we get to. I mean, we know about North Korea, but, you know, you don't get to see what it's like on the inside. And so, so suddenly we had this window and you're providing this window, this this window into that. And I think that's what's so incredibly shocking to us. I'm curious what. Any any translations that you have done recently that really surprised you or have really stood out as is uh, something that you did not expect? As much as I want to bring good examples, I would say the answer is no, just because I've just gone through so many of them. Um, obviously, going back, um, let's say a year, for example, there's definitely, you know, a lot of these intercepted calls have been, um, and the way people spoke about doing certain things, you know, when it comes to dealing with other people, with, with, with admitting to murder, things like that, that, that was definitely a little bit over the top. Um, but I really, it's just the variety of translations that I've been doing um, mean that there's rarely anything shocking. I think we're also at this certain point in the war where a lot of things aren't as shocking as they used to be. You know, if we're going back and we see some things being some kind of, um, you know, like high mass when they were starting to being used back in summer, you know, every single, almost every single launch of high mass was, you know, wildly covered and observed and, and celebrated and set to a certain extent. But now it's, um, it's such a common thing, you know, it's almost like Ukraine always had HIMARS, you know, it's uh, no one really talks about it all that much. But um, so I think I think we are in that stage 14 or 15 months later, almost that um, few things will truly shock us and um, not necessarily translations, but, you know, just general things as well like general events that are happening. So I think that's where we are right now. But personally, haven't had anything shocking for a while. Can I just return to this uh, this mindset, this Russian mindset mm-hmm. that we that Americans just cannot wrap mm-hmm. their heads around? Right, this idea of like you know all of our all. I mean, it's, I'm no military expert, but you know most of the battles are studied in in a sense of not only how do you win them, but how do you reduce the human cost while mm-hmm. winning them, right? So it's just bizarre to think that like, you know, the Russian mindset is just, yeah, we throw a bunch of bodies at it. We've always done it. I mean, you know, yeah, it's, you know, things are, the propaganda is out there and we know that it's not like that on the ground. And it just makes me wonder, like, why do you think these soldiers, these Russian soldiers make the videos at all? I mean, is it just an exercise in I exist or are they really trying to let people know that this isn't anything like they're being, you know, you're being told? Because it seems like so many Russians just accept that they don't know what's, you know, I mean, <laughs> the Russian propaganda is, a, you know, far afield from what's actually happening. But I looked at one of those videos you tr- you translated and, you know, this guy's talking about how he and his partner are like basically living you know like rats in this hole they come out every once in a while they you know they barely get a chance to fire their arms you know whatever Mm -hmm. uh, military equipment has been put there to surround them is just getting ruined by ukrainian bombardment and you know and it's really kind of a it hasn't hasn't showered in a month or washed in any sort of way in a month um it's really you know sort of desperate but i but i also like wonder are, are they I mean, because there is also a potential 
um, downside of, I mean, I, maybe he's accepted that he's probably just going to die one way or the other, but there's a potential downside of publishing something like that where, you know, like Putin sees it, you know, like, hey, go get rid of that one dude. I mean, I just, I'm fascinated. Um, and I don't mean to make light of it. I, I'm, I'm not, but why the Russian mindset of these soldiers, like why even make the videos in that case? Well, there are a couple of things. Um, I remember what you, which video you're talking about. Well, um, I, w- I would I would say preemptively that the probably things same things happen on the Ukrainian side as well. But people stuck for weeks in the same position, probably struggling, you know, with 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 what they have. I don't think this is a unique uh, position to Russia. It is just that in this particular case, it was a Russian soldier soldier who filmed it and published it. Um, as to repercussions, I don't think it's not anything is going to be done to them. I mean, they are already in a pretty bad position, aren't they? Um, in Russia, while it, it is it is definitely an oppressive state, you still can talk. You know, you can still express opinion, and to assert this, to, to a lot of on um, you could say or um, Russian. Um, um, and people who, who who like Russia in the Western media, they quite often actually point to the fact that in some ways in Russia, you can say a lot of things that you would never be able to say in the West. So um, which, which, when they call it a democracy, which, which to a certain extent is true, but it is a sort of a... Um, it is um, what I would call an allowed democracy, where you are allowed to to talk about certain things, anything you want, but these topics they are um, always, then they might be 90% of the whole discussion, but the 10% that are key, such as, you know, direct critique of the authority, for example, direct people naming, naming, naming the specific people responsible for something that is a completely different story and can be forbidden. So there is, um, I, I would argue that um, in, as I live in England, I noticed among the people that they have this sort of un unwritten sort of code of communication where people um, will limit things that they will talk about, um, you know, especially when it comes to really sensitive topics that we have these days that are, that are, that are, you know, there's a lot of discussion about various things, but they will do it voluntarily. There is not necessarily someone, you know, forcing them to do so. And they will share the mo- um, um, share their concerns or complaints about 100% of topics in Russia, it will be ninety percent of topics, but ten will be forbidden. That's how it, it's. It's very. It's quite quite hard to explain. But um, the things that you can say in the West usually are very different for, from what you are allowed to say in Russia, and to, to a certain extent in Ukraine as well. You know, Ukraine actually does share quite a lot of similar. Um, you not 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 national. National, I would say, traits and characteristics. But um, just the the sort of the the times they've been brought up together to a certain extent, they they have a, a few things that are that they share between each other. And one of these, talking too much can uh, or not not talking um, about specific things can can be there. Um, but um, yeah, if if I want to expand a bit more on on Russian soldiers specifically, which is probably you're most interested about, this is just yeah, I'm I'm you know manpower has been Russia's um, one of the main Russia's. Um, um, uh, strength in wars for 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 centuries. Essentially, um, you know, we can go 
um, back to World War One. I'm not even talking about World War II because it's such an obvious example, but you know, even in World War One, there were still lots of offensive, massive casualties, massive use of manpower. They got their results. So at least to a certain extent, they defeated the Austri- um, Austro-Hungarian army. So and it goes back and back and back. Um, it's always been. It's one of the traits that that they just have as a nation, I suppose. That the um, Amer- Americans have their own. So that's 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 just what it is, really. Um, yeah, and, and um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say I'm going to let me talk through this video because it's actually kind of fascinating, mm-hmm. and and I mm-hmm. actually really encourage everybody to follow um, at. Uh, at war translated on Twitter to get this kind of information, right? But this is a video of, of uh, he's, it's a Russian soldier in a trench. Uh, it's a hellscape all around him. The whole, the whole scenery trees are chewed up and he is pissed because an anti-tank gun has just set up shop right next to his trench, which means that now they are a big target from the Ukrainians and that they're raining, they're raining artillery shells. So he says, oh, an ATGM, anti-tank guided missile, Battery is here, uh, an anti-Gaisler. Now they're shelling us with mortar tanks wanting to fuck it up right next to my fucking trench. And then he, he looks at and he, he, he pans his camera. He says, over there in the wood line are the ho-hos, which is a slang for mm-hmm. Ukrainians. It's a derogatory slang. The ho-hos are sitting. And then he looks down and there's a disgusting, there's trash everywhere. He looks in a hole. He sees Sergio guys sleeping over there in my hole. We live like fuck's sake like homeless, haven't washed for almost a month. Then he keeps panning around. The fourth is all fucking destroyed, hitting us for mortars, tanks, while we sit here like rats. All our leadership are Gaisler. Those commanding all this, I only managed to shoot twice. We haven't even shot properly, but we already have four wounded. He lists off a bunch of people that got wounded. And then he says, four wounded, one dead. Uh they're just over here. Over there are other guys. Fuck knows what's up with them. We're getting fucking demolished here like cockroaches. We're stupidly sitting in these holes while being shelled with everything available. And he keeps going around, and then he's all pissed because they've had to retreat. So he says, those were our fields, and the Ukrainians pushed us back. And you just look around, and it's just desolate, and everything's destroyed, and he looked like absolute crap. And so it gives you this sort of view that we, even historically, I don't think we've ever had a war where we had such an intimate look at what the soldiers from both sides, and Dimitri's right, there's plenty of videos of, of Ukrainian soldiers just covered in mud and sitting and getting shelled um, because it is very war, World War One style trench warfare. And so you're getting this inside view and, and the videos are great. And again, I just want to keep stressing how important Dimitri is because then he actually translates this stuff so we know what they're actually saying because the visuals are so powerful. The words really, really amplify that. And it's I, I. It's very interesting seeing you know Dimitri translate stuff from propagandists and official Russian sources. But when you're seeing that raw and filtered stuff from the soldiers on the ground, it is a view of war that I don't think any of us have ever seen unless you were actually fighting in one of these wars. And and it is absolutely mind blowing how illuminating that is. Dimitri, we're almost running out of time here, so I'm, I'm curious with all the talk of the the Ukrainian counteroffensive coming up and preparations for that. We Russia had a, a winter offensive. It fizzled. They literally lost ground over the last three months. Not a lot, but they, they actually went backwards. After American intelligence estimates 100,000 Russian casualties, 20,000 of them dead, um, most of them around the city of Bakhmut. 
now there is a I, I'm seeing everybody's talking this Ukrainian counteroffensive, and I'm seeing sort of talk on the on the Russian side as well, but mostly from from uh, Igor Gherkin, who is this, who's a war criminal, who's been a he's a far right Russian nationalist. He actually began the war in 2014 or helped start spark the war in 2014. Uh, he's now a fierce critic of the war, but from the right. Not like, oh, uh, you know, no war, but like the war's being fought wrong and we're going to lose. He's been talking about this Ukrainian counteroffensive. What else have you seen from the Russian side? Uh, and what do you think they're feeling? Is it dread, anticipation? Uh, what's, mm -hmm. what do you, what's your sentiment, how Russia is feeling right now? Well, I, um, thank you for the question. I think um, the, the first um, um, sense um, I, could, I could probably um, tell you is that um, they, you know, they they are worried. You know, they know it's serious. It is no joke. Um, there have been deliveries of um, various uh, modern equipment, from tanks to all kinds of things, throughout the past four or five months and longer in preparation for something that haven't been deployed. They know it. Um, I think they are. Um, some of them are, like you said, like Gherkin, they go a bit, you know, radical. They they are quite negative. But actually, when you, I have about 100 Telegram channels and what I'm following, right? I would say he's probably in the tiny, tiny minority. The majority of them, or, or at least, you know, a significant part tend to just sort of say that they they need to prepare and they, they have, I feel, I feel they have a hope. I mean, I, I think they, they, they still think they will win the war, by the way. So they, they are still um, in that sort of um, position that, I believe that they need to repel the counteroffensive, whatever you know happens, and then move on from there. Um, but they don't really talk about what is going to um, happen after that counteroffensive, because if they if they if they if they really thought they they could repel it and something, you know, they would be building up really sort of positive plans for their next steps, because you know after Bakhmut there. Are Plenty of places they need to capture to progress, um, but I, I I almost never hear them talking about anything that happens after the counteroffensive. So they are really focused on it, and they don't know what is going to happen. They they genuinely don't know. They um, I think they hope that they will win the war, or they even they they even might, might, you might even believe that they will win the war. But it is definitely very stressful for them. If I was a Russian, um, if I was on the Russian side and I was one of the reporters doing the same exact opposite thing, but the, uh, things but the, for the opposite side, I would be really worried about what is going to happen because there are just so many mysterious signs. Things are not happening as people are expecting. It's where we're in May. No sign so far, you know, of things being engaged at the same time. We see explosions here, explosions there. They know um, time is sort of, you know, running out for them to prepare for it. And um, But I don't think a lot of them believe that they're fully, properly ready um, for whatever is going to happen, which, by the way, I have no idea what's going to happen. I think the predictions are absolutely wild. It can be... I, I still err on the side of it's going to be something like like really crazy that we we just didn't expect at all none of us i mean for what for all, all intents and purposes they could cut off crimea in two days and that's done you know uh, whatever they they do it could it is certainly a possibility or it may not happen at all you know or it might be something completely different so but russians 
um, I would say they're they're worried. They're they're worried. Um, even even though they they think they might win, they're still really worried and and wait for what, what's going to happen. Yeah, you know it's funny that Russia mobilized three hundred thousand people for their winter offensive, and then they focus almost everything. Um, on the city of Bakhmut, which is, I think, the 58th or 59th largest city in Ukraine. It's not even a particularly important mm-hmm. city. Uh, I have one last question. I don't know if, Carrie, you have anything mm-hmm. else, but I have one last no, question. No, no, go ahead. You, yeah. All right. The, the, do you see any sense of how Western sanctions are impacting Russian society? Do they talk about that at all? Um, I would say the – well – the no, the channels that I'm normally following for specific news and things I share online, they don't really talk about sanctions all that much. Um, I know from a couple of live streams I've watched people asking people what is happening in Russia. Um, you you have to understand that Russia in many ways basically is quite self sufficient. You know, it can provide food, fuel, and things like that. Um, and then um, luxuries that for us are you could say like medium level luxuries. Um, such as branded clothes, you know, something that you know, a lot of people can afford. Then a lot of people there never were able to afford, so it doesn't really matter. And as long as um, you know the bases are covered with food, gas, and things, and and um, and you know they 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 have their own um, 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 gas and uh, and things like that. So, that. so that's not a problem for them to provide that those to people. Um, so I think for the for the average person who's not making a lot of money, you know, thirty thousand rubles per month, which is three hundred dollars, they're unlikely to feel anything except for maybe um, prices going up. I think, um, but I'm, as far as I'm aware, there are way more in the past year. I mean, Moscow and Saint Petersburg, they have way more brand new Chinese cars. So they're replacing mm-hmm. the market in that regard. Yeah. So um, it's noticeable. Um, where, whereas you know, um, European brands, which is you know very popular in Russia, um, German cars especially, they are you know they're still there, but eventually they will be replaced with something if, if things go as they as they are. And it doesn't seem that Putin has any 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 you know vision for reversing what is happening right now and all the sanctions. I think I think there it depends on who you ask. Um, those of I, I know people who who left Russia. Um, my 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 previous friends from my previous life, let's say, um, I know they left Russia. And just young people who just couldn't stand it anymore. You know, they had they had to go. Um, those in a less unfortunate position have no choice. They will stay there. Um, but whether they will ever. Um, Started with some kind of an uprising. I don't know. That's um, it's probably not them who will start it. No. You can find Dimitri at War Translated on Twitter, uh, WarTranslated.com, I believe, is the the URL of the website. Um, and uh, I know you're. If you want, do you want to really briefly talk about your fundraiser right now? You're you're raising money for a uh, um, yeah for for Azov. vehicle, right? Um, yeah. Yes, for us, this is a third fundraiser I'm doing with my Estonian friends. So we, I, I sort of decided at a certain point I'm only going to be fundraising with specific people I know and trust because I've been approached so many times to help with fundraisers, but these are the only people I trust truly. Um, they're from Estonia. We're a small country. We're, we're a tightly knit country, you know, so I fully trust them. They drive cars from Europe to um, Ukraine. This is their... 160th car that they're delivering and if you go um, to my um, twitter account you can see pinned tweet you can read all about it it's um it's an amazing it's a great fundraiser 
uh, cars will go to Ukraine very soon. So, um, and you can get some awesome custom-made patches. One of them with the tank, Leopard tank, designed by myself. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm jealous of the uh, of the sign flags that from the Azov defenders. That was that was pretty cool. <laughs> I have one in my room. I have one in my room. <laughs> yeah, it's so they, jealous. They, they send one to me personally. Yeah, that's so cool, Dmitri. Thank you so much, and thank you for everything you're doing to keep us all informed uh, from the Russian side of the war, which allows us to have a much broader and fuller picture of what's actually going on in Ukraine. It is an invaluable service, and I'm so glad you're providing it. So thank you so very much. Thank you. And you helped me a lot with this as well. So I appreciate it. And, uh, <laughs> All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yep. Bye-bye. The, I, I mean, I can't even begin to, to overstate just how important that insight is and just having that gritty look into the mind, that Russian mind uh, is, um, it's illuminating. And suddenly, you know, you see that and suddenly you start realizing why the Baltic nations have, have, you know, such have been complaining, have been complaining about Russia and we're sorry about Russia and Poland and all of Russia's neighbors and Western Europe was like, Hey, you know, they can sell us oil. They can sell us gas. You know, we, we can be friends in Eastern Europe and, uh, and countries in the, in the Caucasus and, uh, uh, Central Asia were like, ah, oh, you can't trust these guys. And, um, and obviously the war sort of has played out and has validated a lot of those concerns from, from those Eastern Europeans. And, um, but yeah, you don't really quite get a sense of just how kind of just fucked in the head Russia is until you, you really see what they say and how they react to, I mean, he, Dimitri's had reactions from, um, Russian social media to Russian massacres. And, mm -hmm. and you got these right they're cheering it they're you know thumbs up happy faces um it is absolutely vile and so um and not just random people on social media the state propagandists on tv massacre massac government officials massacres massacres in the war like they massacred a bunch of ukrainians civilians. or something like yeah. that yeah yeah civilians and and they think mm -hmm. it's great and uh you know they get all excited when when russia launches dozens of cruise missiles at civilian targets they think it's it's crazy great and you know ironically it's the incentives are so skewed because if if <laughs> if i was russian i'd be like why aren't you why aren't you launching those cruise missiles at military targets i mean you know things that may actually help us win this war but the cruelty is the purpose is the point and the parallels uh between russian society and and the Republican Party are so freaking stark that it's 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 absolutely makes total sense why Marjorie Taylor Greene would be so pro Putin. They're they're anti gay. They're virulently anti gay. The video that uh, that um, yeah that I just talked I about that's the the slurs right f you know yeah. the f word this the f word that f words yeah and. Um, I'll and, say it, faggots. He said he yeah. he was he was dropping. He was saying faggots. All you know, I mean, as as yeah. part of the LGBTQ community, I'm I'm going to throw the word out and just <laughs> okay. say he was saying faggots over and over again. So yeah, and and Putin flat out has said that you know uh, just a couple of days ago there was a translated was it I mean Putin or Medved Med Medved Medved, which is his uh, head of the National Security Council, his right hand man was former president. Uh, Putin's puppet because there was term limits. So he had to have a puppet mm -hmm. uh, fill in. Uh, and he's saying that if, if, you know, the West is all about boys 
wearing dresses in school and that's why we're fighting this war the the transphobia is is absolutely fierce and so there's this war against western liberalism that really strikes at the heart of like what we believe in and and western europe is a lot more enlightened in a lot of ways in some of these issues than the united states because they don't have as strong of a christian conservative reactionary wing some places other places you know i guess it's it's a mixed bag but um that's that's what russia all their all their excuses for for this war sort of have kind of like blown up there's no nazis in in ukraine and nobody's really buying that there's satanists in ukraine uh nobody's buying that ukraine was threatening russia or that ukraine had um at one point they were saying they had biologically modified mosquitoes that was that was a, at the United Nations. This isn't some random, bomb them, bomb them. This isn't some random <laughs> crank on social media, right? Justice, justice. Um, this listen, was the UN. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, one one observation I'll make that's interesting is that you know, based on what Dimitri said, like you know, the combination of the mindset of the populace, which is we just throw bodies at situations. You know what I mean? Like this is part part of the mix, right? We just throw bot. We're in war. We throw bodies. We're like chattel. We just, you know, we just, you know, we're just feeding our soldiers into the wood chipper and that's the way we always do it. Um, And, you know, and, and that's one thing. And then the other thing is, is, is it sounds like, you know, Putin is making sure that the very basic needs of his, of his um, people are being met. Um, you know, people, maybe they can't buy branded clothes, as he said, you know, I mean, maybe, maybe the, that's not as available, but that's really only affecting an upper echelon of folks. Moscow right? and St. Petersburg, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Everybody else is like, do I have gas to heat my home? Can I buy vodka? Sorry. It's a stereotype, but no, and, no, it's know, not. And, I mean, it's a yeah. stereotype, but it's absolutely true. True. And, and, can, and can I, you know, can I eat? Like, and can I get basic, basic clothing? I mean, and it sounds like between Putin being able to meet those very basic needs um, and, you know, and the mindset where this is just the way we fight the wars, you know, it, it's like almost impossible to, you know, to mount any sort of, you know, re- reasonable or fierce um, opposition to the war, despite the fact that they're losing it and that they're just burning through people, you know. So um, it's kind of fascinating in, in a horrible way. Um, but it, it, and there is that, that ethos It's a very popular meme that keeps circulating because it's so freaking true. And it's uh, it's a four quadrants, right? And it starts with. Um, you know, it's got Shakespeare and it's like English literature. I will die for honor. French literature. I will die for love. American literature. I will die for freedom. Russian literature. I will die. And that is ultimately. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it doesn't seem far off, to be honest. I mean, if you read Russian literature, it's literally about suffering. It is it is what they are proud of, their ability to to, to suffer. And to a point where I read this incredible essay um, titled 12 Reasons Russia Sucks on Medium. Uh, if, you, if you Google 12 Reasons Russia Sucks, uh, where it talks about how during the Stalin times, neighbors would willingly get in the, in the cars with, uh, with uh, secret police knowing that they were going to be carted off to be murdered. And they would wow. go placidly because that was the, the ethos. This is what it is to be Russian. It is to suffer. That is the lot in life. And thank God there's vodka to dull the senses a little bit. 
during that suffering. And, and it's, it's tragic and it's sad and it seems so unnecessary. Uh, but if they could at least keep it to themselves, that would one, that would be one thing, but their desperate need to, to show glory by, by expanding, by invading neighbors and by being, you know, the big bully in town, that, that becomes a global problem. And that's why we're facing this war in Ukraine. So, um, I hope that was, that was, uh, illuminating to you guys. Uh, I highly, highly recommend you check out Dimitri's work at War Translated. It is absolutely illuminating, eye-opening, uh, and it gives you a much I'm going to go picture. follow him right now. I was not following him because I'm not, you know, near the purveyor of, of uh, the stuff that you are, but I, you know, I'm interested. So I'm going to go follow War Translated uh, right now after we get off. That is our show for today. Carrie, thank you so very much. Thanks to Dimitri for joining us from London in the evening. Uh, that was very kind to him. Thanks to Walter for producing. Thanks to Paul, who helps out behind the scenes. Thanks to you, the reader, viewer, listener, for being a part of this movement for our democracy. Uh, glad to have you fighting by our side because this is uh, this is this war is not going anywhere. It's whether it's Putin or Russia, you know, in Russia or whether it's the Republican Party, they 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 thrive on division, on hatred, on dividing people, on aggression, on violence. And it is up to us to change the political climate to allow us to push back against those forces. So thank you so much for being part of that fight. Love you all. Please like, subscribe, let people know about us. Catch you all next week. 